Hello and welcome to Read All About It, the podcast where people talk about their favourite and not-so-favourite books. Join me, Paul Cuddihy, as I take each guest on the literary journey of their life, from their most cherished childhood read and a book they'd recommend to anyone, to the book they couldn't be paid to read again, and much more in between. So listen, enjoy, subscribe and spread the word about the Read All About It podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Read All About It podcast with me, Paul Cuddy, and I'm delighted to be joined this time by Paul Lyons, who is a railway historian. Paul's enjoyed a varied career that has taken him from Ministry of Defence police officer, investment broker and manager of both Euston and King's Cross railway stations in London. On returning to Scotland, he worked in train planning. He wrote the Scottish timetable one year, while he's also been the duty manager at Glasgow Central Station and also the Central Station announcer. In recent years, he has become the historian at Central Station and he has established a tour of the station that has been the number one thing to do in Glasgow for a number of years. And having been on the tour, I can testify that it is an experience not to miss. He also sports the most majestic of beards, which unfortunately you can't appreciate on this audio podcast. Well, it's fair to say he's also a man for the Celtic. Paul, thanks for joining us on the Read All About It podcast. My great pleasure to be here again, Paul, as ever. I mentioned there, obviously, quite a lot of your your working career has been involved in railways and you're you're now the historian at Central. And I know for anybody who's listened, uh, is listening just now and has been on this tour, it is a fantastic experience. Anybody who hasn't been on, I I can't recommend it highly enough because you're within a working station, but you're also... It's not just a history of of railways and the station, but the city itself. That's very kind, Paul, to to say that. The the reaction to the tours has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, It's became more of a social history tour of Glasgow and Scotland itself. It's great on a daily basis to meet so many varied and different people, and they bring their stories to me, and I can then transpose them to be passed on, hopefully through generations for, for years to come. I think it's been a great addition to this city. That's nearly 75,000 people that have been through. Um, I think I've done just over 5,000 tours. And everyone is different because the experiences and you know and people that they bring to the to the, the, the party, to the tour as well. Because one of the good things I always like about the tour, it's obviously very much about the history. Mm-hmm. But you're very good at using modern means of communication, social media in terms of letting people know who's been on the tour, some of the great stories that you hear, maybe people have worked in the railways in the past, but also promoting it. I think uh, social media, you know, gets a bad name, gets a bad press, and and has done greatly recently, but there are are so many benefits from social media, and that's something that when I started out in the tours, I thought, I'll go for this to see if this garners more interest in the tours. And you're right, it's worked. It's it's been very successful. Um, We live in a a media-driven time now, you know, people want to see photographs of who's been in the tour and the rest, and it has, it's been great it's turned out absolutely great And is it your, ultimately your interest in history has, has driven you into this position that you, you know, you've kind of created for yourself over the last few years? Well, to be honest Paul as my wife will testify I'm not the most organised person in the world and I came up with this idea many years ago, and I get great support from the then station manager at the time, uh, Hell of a nice guy called Ross Moran. Uh, Ross left the railway, um, but thankfully he's come back to to Versailles uh, recently. There, um, as I say, great support from him. And I never set out with a plan 
to be honest. You know, people still ask me to this day in the tours, you know, is this, did you have this great cultivated um, formation of a plan? And to be honest, no. Um, I came down those stairs six years ago, started talking, I've never stopped talking since. And it really incorporated the things that I was interested in. And I was surprised that, you know, the wider audience, that people actually tuned into this as well. You know, my great love of um, the history of Glasgow, the history of Scotland, um, the history of you know people coming across during the famine uh, to Scotland itself. My distant relatives were involved in that. The social political things that have transpired in Glaswegian and Scottish history through the years, and it was a case of pulling all these things together. And amazingly enough, I met so many people that that could identify with this. Well, today, well, I'm going to take you on your <coughs> journey of your literary life. I have to say at the outset that you've set a new benchmark for guests because you did turn up with some fantastic caramel shortcake. So I think of anybody who is going to come on this podcast, you've now you've set the challenge for for future guests. I'm just a big crawler. That's what <laughs> <it is>. <laughs> <laughs> we start with the the first question, which is your favourite book from childhood. I mean, can I just say I'm gutted it wasn't the railway children that you chose? <laughs> <laughs> and no, I'm not all Paul. The railway children wasn't written then. <laughs> so, what the, the book that you you have chose? And you said it was when you were, you were younger. It was your, your mum had read you uh, some Oscar Wilde. Yes, I, my mother's influence has been a, a huge influence on myself on my life growing up. Um, my mother uh, had a book, Oscar Wilde's Poems and Prose which is broken up into various different small stories about uh, particular subjects. You know, they've got various different names. Um, uh, the artist, the doer of good, the disciple, the master. Um, Oscar Wilde was a genius. Oscar Wilde was a superstar of his, of his day. He had a, a tragic life, uh, alas, and I think that's well documented in history. The Oscar stories, the imagery that's in the stories, you know, they were vivid. And I think it's, you know, I've been thinking about this interview for the past couple of days, and I think books are so important because they shape your life, they shape the way you're going to become as a person. And I could see in Oscar's imagery that it's something I think I've continued for the rest of my life, you know. I love love these plays, I I love the stories that's in them. You know, they're very, very heart-rending, very touching uh, the more I found out about Oscar Wilde as time went on, you could see through his work, it was a reflection of his tragic life as well. But such an amazing man. I would love to have met Oscar Wilde. Um, the only downside to him was that um, I discovered a wee while ago that he had an extremely irritating way of speaking. Um, and it remained, and I discovered that uh, it was an undulating way of speaking that Oscar Wilde had. And he came be compared to Robert Peston, you know, the way Robert Peston yeah, speaks, yeah, that yeah. he'll go from <laughs> up very high to yeah. down very low and he'll shout very like this. And so uh, Alistair Gray was like that as well. That's right. And I, well, I understand Oscar was, was uh, he spoke like that as well. <laughs> <laughs> Just a, as a wee stranger side there. Because um, some people would, you know, people would remember, for example, things like The Happy Prince and yeah. The Selfish Giant. But those stories uh-huh. in that book that you're talking about, were those stories specifically for children or was it just but, something you well, were Well, they, they were in that. Right, they were okay, in that yeah. book. Because it was this big weighty tome my mother had, and I think I still got it in the house, and it had all the various plays in it, but this was at the back, and because they were so much shorter, that that's what she would read to me, I think, um, and that kept my attention at an early age. But even then, I could see the beauty 
in the imagery that was in these stories. And as I say, it's, maybe it's a strange thing to, to you know, to discuss at such an early age. But I think I've had a great influence from my mother throughout the years. You know, my mother was a a draftswoman in a professional life, and then when she retired, she became an artist, and she's an excellent artist. But as well as that, you know, there was the poetry side of things. My father was a welder in the Clyde, and the two of them were chalk and cheese, you know. <laughs> um, it doesn't take away for anything my dad ever done, but um, he was never interested in the things that, you know, my mother was interested yeah. in. So the biggest influence came from her. And even to this day, when I go back over Oscar Wilde's work, y- you can still see the, the incredible beauty that's in it. Because there's something... And I think a lot of people, when you talk to them about books, particularly in childhood, it's maybe something that their parents read. And was that, were you conscious of that as well in terms of either passing those stories on or wanting to read to your daughter? Yes, I, I, And I think it is, it's a chain, it's a progression, isn't it? Um, I have passed some of these stories on to my daughter as well and uh, she's been really influenced by them, I think. It's so important to get at such an early stage with kids you know, you can make such an influence in a child's life and you do make such an influence as time goes on that you have to do it the right way to begin with, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, I, I could um, forever my mother's forever thanking my mother for that, that through her influence, that's what made me the person I am today. And you never lose your love for these early books. You know, I listened to that podcast the other day there with the, the chap that was on, he was talking about Kidnapped. Um, and that's something that stuck with him for the rest of his days as well. So yeah. it's, it's it's so important, I think. And your your parents moved back to Ireland in, in recent years, and I know you, you spoke about the fact that your mum is an artist, and uh-huh. you do sometimes post some of the pictures that, that she uh-huh. has done, and they are absolutely uh-huh. uh, excellent pictures. I, I, I think it's... It wasn't a bohemian upbringing, you know, but um, I, I could see that, you know, the, the talent was there, my mother, and... You know, some people listening to this might think, oh God, it was Enid Blyton I was brought up to, <laughs> brought up by no no Oscar Wilde, but even so, it's what a great influence it's been. But I suppose it's the the exciting thing when you're reading, if you're first introduced to Oscar Wilde as, as a child when your mum's reading his stories to you, then at a certain point she maybe takes a step back and allows you then to discover it yourself, reading the books and reading the plays and, and whatever uh-huh. else on uh-huh. your own. Uh, you're right, it's... It's a starting point, isn't it? And then you go from there. And then I found out, you know, the the man that he was, and the, you know, the life that he had, and the difficulties in his life, and wrongly imprisoned, you know, and absolute persecution, the, the man had. But it, you're right; it goes from there. It's it's a starting point, a foundation, you know. And that's from that starting point, we then move on to kind of formative years. So you're maybe starting to form your own tastes in books and it's uh, quite a, I suppose people at first glance would, when they hear this choice from your formative years, quite a, a heavy heavy tone. <laughs> well Voltaire's Candide you know, um, I actually brought it with me today, I bought this when I was 14 and uh, I kept this copy um, for all the different places I've been in my life and different houses I've lived in and events I've had and uh, there it is, the tattered I like the fact that you you know that I think all of us have it may just be a handful of books, it may just be one book that mm. not it's not just the book and the story that takes you back, but actually as a physical product. You just want to keep it because holding that book will take you back to maybe just from when you were fourteen and when you bought this book. I love 
books. Um, I've got a great collection of books now. I've got a great library in the house. I've bought a huge amount of books over the past couple of years. You're right, it's a physical thing, Paul. You know, it's looking back to, as a comparison with uh, music. I loved albums, you know, I loved the gatefold sleeves with the big pictures on the front. Yeah. You could take them out and you could read the... Because there's the a Renaissance and vinyl records now. Aye, aye, my daughter's got vinyl and I loved that and it's lost now. But you're right, it's a physical thing about books. Books are lovely things to have, you know. It's, it's one of my great obsessions is books. And I'm so glad that I kept that. You know, it had been with me, as I say, through many different things, different houses I lived in through the, the past 30 odd near 40 years. It's It sounds like an unusual choice. But for anybody who's not read it, what's, it, what it's still, the it's, Well, it's still the funniest book I've ever read in my life. Right. You know, for a book that was written, I think it was in the 1780s, that it's still laugh out loud material. It's fundamentally a story about a man that will never lose the will to keep going, you know, and it's written in such a, a beautiful way. Voltaire was a fascinating man. He was a great wit of his time. He was persecuted through history, but uh, still seen as one of the great writers of all time. And the, the story is simply that this man in the book suffers so many different trials and tribulations, but he still will always look to the positive side of things. And I think that's a great philosophy to have in life, and I still have this to this day. I've said this again on the podcast before, that one of the things I really love about it is the fact that effectively I'm getting book recommendations. Mm-hmm. So when I spoke to Chris Dole and Don Quixote, I hadn't mm-hmm. read that, so I've, mm-hmm. I've read that, read Far From The Madden Crowd in the back of someone mm-hmm. else, and then... Right away, I'm thinking, well, I'm going to have to read this because I haven't read, mm-hmm. I haven't read this either. Um, and it's just, you know, it's a never-ending. You know, there's so many books in the world that you've never read, but it's, it's great when somebody almost gives you another treasure. I, I think it's it's astounding. You're right. It opens another avenue when somebody says to you, you know, read this, and you immerse yourself in a book. That book for me was absolutely incredible and still is to this day. And I'll be leaving that with you it's so you can read it. Stone, it's still pretty good, Nick. It's no bad. I don't know, it's like leaving a family no, no, That's no, a lot no, of pressure. No. no, you can have it, Paul, you can have it. I tell you one thing, when, when you were saying there about, you know, you've got a lot of books and, mm-hmm. and it's one thing I've got. It's I mean, I just love... I'm not sure sometimes if I love buying books as much as I love reading them. And at one point... And my wife used to smoke. Thankfully, she she gave up cigarettes a long time ago. But every now and again, I came in with books. Her books would arrive, and she go, "Oh, not more books!" And I used to always say, "Look, no one's ever died of passive reading." <laughs> I, I'm going to use that because <laughs> I've got the exact same circumstances, Paul. That um, Amazon deliveries come on a regular <laughs> basis, and uh, I spent an absolute fortune on them. And I was I'm absolutely obsessed with this library I've got right now. You know, but the thing is, you've always got them. You know, and you can pass them on as as time goes on. I think if you have a good balance library as well, and I like to think I've got one like that. Now, Candid, Candid, is, it's set in its time, set in the 1700s. And, but as I say, that if you cut straight to the chase, it's a man who's faced terrible adversity. And some of it is absolutely ludicrously funny, you know, which is, it's as if the book was written yesterday, um, but well worth a read. That's what I find extraordinary sometimes when you, if you say if it's a book that's it's written in the 18th century, so you're mm-hmm. reading something that's over 200 years old, but it still mm-hmm. resonates with you, which mm-hmm. I think is incredible. It's a testament to the, to the skill mm-hmm. of the author as mm-hmm. well, but the fact that that's obviously that's why a book like that endures. You would love, I would love to have met some of these guys. You know that 
you're right, they were writing books that are still relevant to this day, and what an intellect they must have had. What must it have been like to be inside Voltaire's mind? You know, and the more you read about these guys and the more you find out about them, the more fascinating they, they become. Well, certainly I'll, I'll uh, take very good care of, care of this book. I'm <laughs> <Aye>, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> if we move on to your third choice, and that uh, is now a book that you would recommend to anyone. Well, this is one of my favourite books of all time. I think I've read this book uh, about four or five times, um, and I'm, I will. I started to read it again last night, and that's uh, Roddy Doyle's A Star Called Henry. It's it's just so, it's hard to describe, it's so beautifully written. Uh, Roddy Doyle, as we know, is, is one of the most famous uh, writers in Ireland, um, and I'd put him up there beside Shauna Casey and, and the rest. Uh, the book itself starts in the early, the late, sorry, the late 1800s. Henry Smart is the star, and uh, he's born in grinding poverty in Dublin. And, you know, Doyle was so descriptive in this. Uh, you know, the, the rats are, are in the house and the mother is, has absolutely nothing at all. The book opens with them sitting on a pavement in this Dublin, outside this Dublin tenement, and they're looking at the stars in the sky. And the stars in the sky that the mother's pointing out are the kids that she lost through childbirth that died in absolute poverty. Now, Henry's life mirrors the most dramatic and the most important point in Irish history, I think. It goes through the revolution of 1916, then the Civil War, 1921, and then it continues through that. Now, the thing that I really like about Henry is Henry is a survivor, but he's a chancer as well, you know, and he's got this this Dublin humour about him. He ends up in the GPO during the 1916 Easter Rising, Henry's no interest in that. He's having sex with a woman uh, down the stairs uh, while this is all going on. Ultimately, it's it's a, a dramatic book. It's a sad book as well. But ultimately, Henry is used by just about everybody in his life. And he knows this, but he gets through it. He escapes that. Um, Roddy Doyle, this is the first part of a trilogy. The second part was called Oh, Pl- oh Play That Pretty Thing. And that's when Henry ends up going to... He goes to New York and he works as a bouncer for Louis Armstrong. He then comes back from New York as an older man to Ireland. And ultimately, the third one, The Dead Republic, is a wonderful book as well because he gets involved in the peace treaties that came to place in the 90s in Ireland. Well, do you know, it's interesting that when, when I saw have you... Have you read this? Oh, well, do you know, I have. I've read all three of them. And when I read A Star Called Henry, and I, I absolutely agree with you, I think it's... It's a social history, it's brilliant. I think you're there mm. and, the, you know, the way Roddy Doyle describes that poverty, the, the, the whole city of Dublin, you know, the life that Henry leads. And he's a brilliant character. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I absolutely loved the book and I've read that two or three times. I really struggled with the other two books. I, I, I found, and I don't know whether because I loved A Star Called Henry so much, I really struggled with the second one when he was in America. I really... I, I, I absolutely toiled with the Dead Republic. I, I, I think it's interesting you saying that, Paul, that I was so disappointed with the second book. Um, you're right, you went for this high, the first one. The second one I found very difficult. I never finished it, but I read the third one, and I was impressed with the third one solely because, from a personal point of view, I was always I had a great interest in the film The Quiet Man, 
Yeah. You know, John Ford fascinated me. Um, and when the Dead Republic starts, it's Henry's lying in the desert, um, and uh, John Ford kicks him. No, no, he, he doesn't. He's, he's doing a pee, doesn't he? And he accidentally pees on him, uh, uh, and and then it goes to the earth. So that sparked my interest a bit. Yeah. But uh, although, as I say, Roddy Doyle was such a wonderful writer, that you're right. The second one was was a great disappointment. I thought, what is this? The, the third one, I just felt it was so much crammed in. Can I tell you? I don't know if it's a sad story about John Ford, the Quiet Man, or just a sign that we that we're older, but mm-hmm. maybe clever in the younger generation. We're having a conversation at <laughs> work. And somebody was mentioning John Clark, The Lisbon Lion. Uh-huh. His favourite film of all time is The Quiet Man. Uh-huh. So I'd, somebody didn't, hadn't heard of The Quiet Man, so I'm saying, this is just, it's a fantastic film, it's an incredible film, you need to watch it. John Wayne goes back to Ireland, and mm-hmm. one of the young guys said, is John Wayne a real person? And we all looked, and he went, I thought he was just a character that Clint Eastwood had played. All right. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> right, he's not in our quiz team, it's, no, just, no. it's very sad. But I, that, I, I must admit, that's what intrigued me and, and I wanted to like The Dead Republic but I just felt right. it was it just seemed to race through a whole period of time that I could never quite keep up with it Do you know think Paul we were spoiled after the first book you know that, that maybe that was his zenith that he... I don't because I always think I'm such a big fan of Roddy Doyle and most of the stuff and even stuff that he's written subsequently oh, the, the I, van, I, you know, I just love As I say I keep coming back to Star Called Henry again it'd be a fantastic film it really would, and especially in the light of the 100 years anniversary of the Easter Rising. Henry, for me, the thing that really surprised me was that I'd spent years studying Irish history and I looked at these great heroes of um, the revolution and it was so strikingly shocking to see him talking about them knowing venerated tones, yeah. you know, just treating them as the men they actually were. You know, I, I found that really engaging and funny. Um, for me, James Connolly was always the outstanding participant in the Easter Rising. Uh, Connolly's politics being a, a socialist and Henry was a socialist as well. He had no time for, you know, what he perceived as the upper-class revolutionaries that had no interest in him. Um, He was always there to do the dirty work for somebody else, for Michael Collins, Um, but he was never good enough to sign the uh, proclamation because he was told he was too old. Henry wanted to insert, you know, the important things from his particular life, um, looking after women, rights for women, and these things were eroded. And when you look in on Irish history, that's exactly what did happen. I think Roddy Doyle was influenced by that when he was writing the book in the 90s. He, he said in the book, what did it matter in the end? We replaced one flag by another. You know, the Dublin poor were still the Dublin poor. Yeah. It didn't matter what the elite had thought they'd conquered through the, the revolution. So thought-provoking stuff, most definitely. Well, we can certainly both agree that uh, A Star Called Henry by Roddy Doyle is a book that uh, you should certainly read. We are listening to the Read All About It podcast with me, Paul Cuddihy, and my guest, the railway historian, Paul Lyons. And we're on to the, the fourth question, and it's a book that you c- couldn't be paid to read again, and I know this is one that people approach with different degrees of difficulty and I know mm-hmm. uh, that you given the fact you can appreciate what goes into writing a book that you weren't mm-hmm. keen to, to name and shame anyone 
I did. I'd thought about this um, recently, Paul, and I've started to write a book about the history of Central and my experiences in Central tied into this. And I know you, as an author as well, that uh, greatly appreciate how difficult it is to write a book. And I think books are subjective. You know, one day you could look at a book and think, oh, this, this is good, and you could start on it, and then the other day, depending on your particular mood, it might put you off. Art is subjective. You know, you look at a picture of, say, anybody, you know, Clint or Paul Clee or somebody like that, and you might think it's wonderful, I might think it's absolute dross. So I, I would never be arrogant enough to in my book, to decry somebody who'd spent maybe a year, two years, maybe more years sitting writing a book and then just to be glib and dismissive and say, nah, it's rubbish, yeah. you know. I would you know, I would hate for somebody to, to hear that about their actual works. It's funny because when uh, Professor Willie Maley, when he was on the podcast and he chose, and his, his wife said to him, if you're going to, for that category, make sure that the, the author's dead. <laughs> so he chose a book from the 19th century. <laughs> I never thought of that. <laughs> but the other thing is, in terms of, as a reader, and again, people seem to fall into two camps when they're reading a book that they don't like. Some people persevere with it, mm-hmm. because once they've started, they want to finish. And I'm, I'm of the other camp where if I'm not enjoying a book, I just put it down. I might go back to it later, but mm-hmm. I'll just go on to something else because I'd, there's too many books out there to read. I, I, that's the same myself. I, if I'm disappointed, and I'll just say, right, call it quits. Uh, life's too short to you know, drag yourself through another thing that you're not enjoying. And you're right, there are so many other books out there that are far more interesting, so uh, you, you just say enough's enough. Because that's why I wonder as well, sometimes with that question then, because books that I don't like don't make the same impression on me because, by and large, I don't finish them. Mm-hmm. So that it's, it's books books that I finish, at the very least, I thought that that was okay. Mm-hmm. If not, you know, I might absolutely love a book. So mm-hmm. it's generally quite a positive experience, and the occasional one where you do kind of stick with it and... It's a bit of a slog. At various times, it's a real dilemma. Do I give this up? See, I don't read much fiction, Paul, to be honest. You know, my my library in the house collection is mostly historical stuff. You know, history of Scotland, um, uh, history of so many varied things, lots of factual stuff, uh, biographies, and... Uh, John Muir, I've, I've got quite a lot of books about him and he's written himself, you know, the famous conservationist that came from Scotland, mm. uh, uh, started the Yosemite National Park, a man a way ahead of his time. Um, so most of my collection is mostly factual historical stuff and some fiction, you know, um, Umberto Eco, I, I, loved, yeah. I loved his stuff, you know, he was an absolutely fantastic writer. He reminded me of Voltaire quite a lot as well. Because I read uh, The Name of the Rose is, is one of my yes, favourite books, and, uh-huh. and when I did, I put a wee podcast extra and it was recommending books, and one of them, uh, The Name of the Rose, I always felt you had to read to about page 100, you had to stick with it for the mm-hmm. first few pages, but see mm-hmm. once you got past that, Mm-hmm. It was what an experience uh, as, as a reader. Mm-hmm. Um, I quite like, I actually quite liked the Sean Connery film as well. To be fair, oh, it was good. It was um, good. But I, the, the, as a book, I think it's absolutely, absolutely stunning. Well, that takes us on to the book you're currently reading, and mm-hmm. it's a book called The Last Crusade by Nigel Clough. Yep. As I mentioned there, uh, I've got a great collection of historical books. I'm fascinated by 
the Crusades by the Muslim world at that time as well and the explorers, the, the men that opened up these various different routes to and from, you know, to the, the Silk Road and things like that. I'd love to get inside, I try to get inside the mind of these explorers. Um, the book itself is about uh, Vasco da Gama. He had a fascinating life. He lived in the 1490s. The 1490s was such a, a profoundly influential period in history that we still suffer from the terrible things that happened at that time. 1492, uh, Columbus sailed the blue, as we know, and he brought pestilence and disease from the old world to the new. Um, he was a, an astounding navigator, fascinating man, but even so, I don't think he realised the repercussions that it would cause on the, the new world. In saying that, I'm still fascinated by the fact that these men are so were so driven to go and explore. You know, what De Gama done, what Magellan done, um, that far outstrips what we done as modern men and women going to the moon in 1969. You know, could you imagine getting um, a team of people together, you're going in this exp- expedition across the, to the other side of the world, you might never come back. You know, Columbus went away for nine years at one point. Fascinating to see how human endeavour and resilience can be pushed to that extent. Um, De Gama lived in, as I say, difficult times. This was the time of the Fourth Crusade, the First Crusade itself. I think we're, we're suffering from the times of the Crusades still to this day. The, the Muslim world invented mathematics and so many other wonderful things. The Crusaders themselves trampled across history and destroyed so many things that the Muslim people had at that time. The Crusaders were driven by greed uh, for land, for, for gold. It was never about God, you know. As I said, it, it resonates throughout history to this very day. So he, am I right in saying that he was, Vasco da Gama was the first European to reach India, we see? It was, <clears throat> I, and he circumnavigated Africa as well. As I say, I, I'm only halfway through the book right now. But his problems then arose because of the, the circumstances of the time. So but is it written as a is it a factual is is it a history it, book or is it written as a novel or I'd say <coughs> both. I'd say both. Um he's a wonderful writer. Um Nigel Clough. I I I was fascinated by some of his stuff. He's written other ones about the Crusades and things like that as well. As I say, it, it seems a bit of a strange topic, but the Crusaders it's it's fascinating. You know, these men uh, were driven by violence, <laughs> violence and greed. You know the the Pope at the time. It's the the whole geopolitical uh, situation at the time is so involved. The Pope at the time uh, was Urban. Pope Urban made the uh, proclamation that Claremont, I think it was, uh, for everyone to take the cross against the Muslim hordes. But the same again. It was all double standards. There was no interest in bringing Christianity back to Jerusalem. It was all about a land grab and money. And to this day, I, c- I can fully sympathise and see that, you know, the Muslim people suffer from a long memory because they remember back to how they were subjugated. I suppose that's the fascinating thing about history, that, you know, you're reading about something that's events that happened 500 years ago, but as you say, they resonate down through history. A thousand years ago, you know. And we look at the conflict that there is in the world because of religion, 
on both sides from you know the Middle East back to here. Um, and I don't know how it'll ever be resolved, but I'm sure some of these men set out with the best intentions in their hearts. But you know, the, when you look at the terrible atrocities that, that were committed, always in the name of God, the big famous church, the Hagia Sophia, which is actually bigger than the Vatican, it's got a bigger dome than the Vatican. And you read at the first crusade that the crusaders actually swept through, and the blood of the vanquished were actually up to their waist, you know, that um, you can fully understand, you know, how it's things a, turned out. It's beyond nature. comprehension, actually. It that, is, huh? it is. I, as I say, you know, a thousand years ago is, is such such a long time, it's hard for us to try and relate to what men were like in those days. But then again, I suppose a man's heart, either good or bad, is the same. It doesn't matter what decade or what millennia they live in. <coughs> I was up at the Kelvin Grove Art Gallery, Recently, mm. and they've got like a whole collection of different artifacts of war, oh, armoury and swords. And when you look back at some of these old swords, and you think, apart from the fact that we'd have taken great strength to wield them, mm-hmm. but there's a real brutality in knowing that that was getting put into another human being. I I think that that's difficult to reconcile with yourself. But when you see, when you read, you know, the events of like you know William Wallace and Robert the Bruce and things like that, and the length of those swords, they must have been a hell of a size of men, very, very strong men yeah. as well. Different times, you know, different times, as I continually say, it's difficult for us to try and put ourselves, modern men, into their positions. But I'm sure they weren't much different, you know. I think they were more intelligent, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I think people in the 1700s, run about then, uh, you look at the great writers and philosophers, I think now you know, they were far more intelligent than we are today. You know, I think there's been a, a dumbing down in society well, over the past few decades. Clint Eastwood played John Wayne. Especially him, <laughs> I. We, we must find out who he is. <laughs> I, I know, but I'm not, I'm not naming and shaming. Also, I, just as a, as a slight footballer, I said Vasco da Gama, is he the only explorer who has a football club? <laughs> I think he is. Um, I think so. It's actually interesting because... Uh-huh. They also have obviously a football club in Rio in mm-hmm. Brazil, but it was actually Portuguese immigrants who obviously yep. that's where he's from. Yep. So aye. that was maybe their way of just connecting with the. Uh-huh. With their own I think so. Aye. Aye. Although aye. I think there might be a team called Columbus Crew in the MLS in the United there States. Is. So there is. There is. There is. <clears throat> well, that started a new. Let's say many more football teams than good as well. You mentioned there just the fact that you're you're now putting pen to paper yourself. You're starting uh-huh. to tell story of the station and obviously your relationship with that and uh-huh. is that is that an enjoyable experience to begin through it is it is it's it's difficult sometimes that i'm sure you've found that yourself writing a book you've got so much in your mind and it's to try and get everything down and some days you feel completely inspired and you've got tons of stories and then the next day there's absolutely nothing Aye, and I think that that's what I've been experiencing recently. You know, you've got these massive swings from information, get it done right away, or it's going to be lost again. And do you have a, a deadline that you're working to in terms no. of when you want to, no, to bring it back um, To be honest, it's something I should have done years ago, and I never got around to it. But continually, people are saying to me on a daily basis, this should be in a book, that should be in a book. So finally, I've caved in, and I shall do it, this book. <laughs> the thing is, I mean, having been on your tour, I mean, the story of the cent- of Central Station and its relationship to the city is fascinating. Mm-hmm. But then when you add in, I think like a lot of books, if you add in the personal, and the fact you've, you've had that connection with the city, 
obviously quite a lot of people might recognise the name and they'll maybe know the face from that brilliant documentary that they did uh, BBC did about well, we've done a second Central one of those Station. as well um, that was really fascinating I, and that's that's coming on the next couple of months and it's been a, a great reaction to that as well but the book itself Paul um, there are so many historical books written about Glasgow written about the station as I say I'm interjecting this with my personal experiences of the railway with some great times some great laughs in the railway you know the, the humour has been absolutely fantastic and I'm trying to put this in as well, you know. So hopefully it'll turn out quite well. I'll look forward uh, to reading that. The, give the me another ten years and I'll be finished <laughs> it, right? And hopefully one day somebody on the podcast will be a book they recommend to anyone. <laughs> That'd be nice. Well, listen, Paul, thanks very much for joining us. And as I said right at the very start, um, you have set the benchmark for future guests in terms of what you bring as, as <laughs> edible gifts for me. <laughs> Big crawler lines, that's me. <laughs> but uh, thanks very much for being a guest on the Read All About My It podcast. My pleasure, Paul. My pleasure. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Read All About It podcast, and I'd love to hear what you've thought about it. You can get in touch via Twitter at readallabout20, on Instagram at readallaboutitpodcast, or you can send an email to readallaboutit at paulcuddehy.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, subscribe, leave a review and spread the word. If you haven't enjoyed it, say nothing to anybody. But I do hope you can join me, Paul Cuddehy, next time on the Read All About It podcast. And in the meantime, keep reading. Keep reading.